Let's all join together and pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock. You are our redeemer. Amen. So most of these people that we've been looking at in this restart series are people who really didn't have it together. Right? Adam and Eve, not long after they were created and brought into this world of perfection, they made the biggest mistake. Kind of right away, quick nosedive. Jacob, if you remember, had lived decades of his life for himself, trying to take control, trying to do it all by himself. And even before he could even understand what he was doing as a baby, he was trying to do that already for himself. Rahab last week, she hadn't even heard about the Lord. She didn't know anything about the Lord, nothing at all. And certainly the lifestyle that she was living was far from the way that God called life to look like and life to be. And then for all these people, then when they're at their lowest, God steps in and he gives them a new chance at life. And he changes them and he helps them trust in him more than anything else. They started out really low and then we got to see them kind of come out and end up really high on the other side. Well, David's story is not like that. David's story looks a whole lot more like a roller coaster of life. Because his story starts out with the prophet coming and anointing him and saying, David, you are going to be the next king over all of Israel when he's just this little kid. Then you probably know this story. This little kid, David, he goes to battle against the giant Goliath. And because he trusts in God and God's ways and what God does for him, this little kid, David, defeats the giant Goliath. And this little kid, David, brings the rest of God's people to trust in God and what God has done even more. And then we hear about adult David. And how he's going to be king soon, and he knows he's going to be king soon. And how the king Saul did not like that. And how that king chased after him and tried everything he could do to kill David. And David had a couple opportunities to kill Saul, to be done with it, to become the king with his own power and his own abilities. But David's committed to God. He's not going to do what God doesn't want him to do. So even this guy that's trying to kill him, David says, no, I'm not going to do that. He's not going to compromise God and God's ways. He trusts. He waits. And at this point in David's story where things just seem to be getting better and better, we get this description of God and what God says about David. He calls him a man after my own heart. We pick it up in David's story with a life that looks pretty much like what God wants life to look like. And then, after David is up here, then we hear how something changed in David. Because instead of leading his army out into the battle like kings back then would have done and should have done, we hear about King David who decides to stay home in comfort and safety and not be out in the fight. We hear that while he's home, looking down from his tall and beautiful palace, he looks down and he sees a woman bathing. And desire starts to burn inside of his heart for this woman. 
even though he's married, and he knows that he's married, he maybe even forces her to come, and he, he sleeps with her. And once he finds out that what he did made her pregnant, then David comes up with this big plan, and he tries to cover up all of it. His plan starts to spiral him lower and lower to pushing the husband, his warrior friend, this man who was honorable, pushing him out into the middle of battle and having the rest of the army step back so that this one man would be left alone to fight everybody and then, of course, to die. What's going on with David? What could have changed inside of his heart to lead him down a path littered with hurt people and this honorable man and soldier dead? What's going on within him? How could he go from experiencing life with God to a life like this? David's story started out with things going great and being up here, and now we start to see him at his lowest when life is just disgusting. I think it's the kind of thing, as we listen to these details, it just makes you want to plug your nose, right? There are just some smells in life that are too bad to want to smell. A smell so bad you can't stand it. When you smell something like that, what do you do? You get it into the trash. Uh, you find it. You throw it in the trash. You take the bag out of the trash. You take the trash out into the yard. You throw it into the giant can. And then for the rest of that week, as the more bags come, you quick open it up and close it as fast as you can so that that smell is as far away from you as it can be because you never, ever, ever want to smell that kind of smell again, right? But there's this kind of weird thing that happens if you don't get the smell out of your house. Right? So this smell is here, and you take it, and you throw it in the trash, but then you leave it there. Then there's this weird thing that happens. Things start to change for you a little bit. The smell that is this awful smell doesn't seem to smell as bad anymore. Every time you open the can after that, it smells a little bit less intense. This thing that used to make you gag and want to throw up, you start to think that you can tolerate it being around. You get nose blind. Now, it doesn't happen for every smell, right? There are some smells that are still too bad. But sometimes, when there's this bad, smelly thing, you kind of forget what a bad smell smells like, and you can start to ignore it. This is what happened to David. He had become spiritually nose-blind to the awful smell of his own sins. And this is where we pick up. He needed a restart. So, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, super wealthy, lots of stuff to give. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had brought. He had bought. 
he raised it. It grew up with him and his children. It shared his food. It drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. This description hits the heart, right? It was like a daughter to him. Now, at this point, absolutely with David no longer spiritually blind or neutral to this situation, now Nathan keeps going. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. And now, that's where David reacts like he should have reacted to everything else before this. He burned with anger inside against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Oh, David's felt it build up now. He knows something awful like this. It can't happen. He's ready to be the king now to crush somebody who did this. He's furious inside and outside at a story that is just so outrageous. And you know what's going on here. This is God's way of trying to help David to see inside his own heart. A heart that was just burning up and smelling awfully inside of him without him recognizing it. And I think you and I understand what's going on with David because this happens for us too. Instead of getting rid of the smell and the stink of mistakes and sins, our reaction is just cover it up. And then covering up kind of becomes the focus of our lives and what we do and how we live. So we do these little lies that keep this thing hidden and nobody knows. We feel the regret and the shame start to build up inside of us, but we push it down and we hold it down and we push it out of our heads. And then when the thoughts of guilt and shame come back to us from this big thing that happened in the past that we feel like was just going way too far and that maybe we've done way too much, we let the struggle stay inside. But just like David, it just leaves you feeling burned out and ready to burn up at other people. We do what David did. And you heard it at least from some of the kids that this comes naturally to them. This is the first way that we experience this. Nobody even has to teach us. Instead of admitting that we're wrong and dealing with whatever that awful smell is, we hide and we cover up we keep it inside. But you and I know this strategy doesn't work. Thankfully, God knows this too. And he is not going to leave you or me to burn up on our own. Now then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Just two words in Hebrew, but two words that crush you did all of this. 
you messed up in this exact same way. God knows it was you, David. And now it's time to deal with it. And just in case David was ready to speak up and try to have those excuses start flowing, Nathan keeps going with him. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? He makes it public. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You can picture at this point David shrinking lower and lower as he listens to the details come out in public. You can imagine him that he's at his breaking point. And thank God, he broke. Because then David said to Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. David gives himself up. He admits it finally. He doesn't come up with excuses. He lays it all out there for himself and everybody to know and to see. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You're not going to die. I mean, what? After all of that, after this buildup that had been just a long time coming, after trying to cover up and keep it in and come up with excuses, after messing up so many lives, after he had his soldier killed, after murdering. And just like that, God forgives. Something that's been getting a little bit of attention lately is this idea of hot and cold therapy, right? There have been cultures and countries where people do this and they kind of make it a normal part of their life. But I think we're starting to hear it a little bit more in our context now, too. If you've ever heard of people like uh, Wim Hof or uh, listen to a Stanford professor, Andrew Huberman, they talk about how this is one of the best things that you can do for your body and for your life. Go and jump in the freezing cold river. Be crazy and take the cold shower in the morning. Go and break up the ice in the middle of winter and do the polar plunge. Because what's going to happen when you do this, it's going to kickstart your body. Instantly, you're going to have help with the aches and the pains and the depression and the negativity. A few minutes or moments of cold exposure is going to leave you absolutely refreshed and focused and ready to go. Uh, try it out for yourself. Even if you want to do it this afternoon, you can do it. Go and experience what it feels like to go from hot to absolutely cold. See how refreshing it is. I think when we feel this sensation, this comes as close physically as it's going to come to what happens when God forgives us. Because God takes the guilt and the shame and the burning up inside and he instantly gets rid of it. Instantly he refreshes and cools 
and changes us. Instantly, his forgiveness works on us, and he gives us the restart we need. Because all the awful mistakes and mess-ups and failures, he put those things onto Jesus, who took them to the cross, and who died and who left those things there. He tells us from the cross, it is finished, and he means it for those mistakes and failures. He washes over us with his water in baptism, and he says we're clean, and he means that we're clean. When we get to celebrate it, he gives us forgiveness in the Lord's Supper, real and true forgiveness. He gathers us together as brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can tell one another that when we mess up, we're forgiven in Jesus. You don't have to cover up. You don't have to hide. You don't have to hold it in. God refreshes. Instantly, God makes you clean. You're forgiven. And that, brothers and sisters, is the kind of experience that, just like David got to understand, that is something that you and I get to treasure. You can start to learn, like the kids shared, that it's okay to admit these things and say these things to parents who love you. You can learn this is good to do because God will love you. You can treasure admitting guilt and failures and mess-ups because God promises every time you do, he's going to refresh you in Jesus. You can find out every day that you are forgiven. You can get rid of the things that have been burning up inside of you for years, those mistakes that you wish you could get back. You can make this a part of your daily life and find out how refreshing it is when you know you're forgiven. It is a time to treasure because God promises every time you do it, he's going to forgive. We're going to finish today with... Uh, David's understanding of all of this experience. There is so much more to his story. There are so many ups and downs and things in his life. But what's really cool is there's a song that we know as Psalm 32. This is how David describes all of this inside of himself and, and how it comes out at the end. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, in whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Never too late. Don't hold it in anymore. In Jesus and his forgiveness, you can know for sure God will give you a new start. Amen.